You ever have one of those experiences that tells you maybe your life's a little too busy? I remember back when we had our four children and when they were young, and it was after church, and our children were doing what is typical for preacher's kids. Well, the adults are having their conversations, catching up with one another. They're playing hide-and-seek in the church. The church is a great place to play hide-and-seek. And any of you PKs we have around here, you know that, don't you? Yeah. So we finished our conversations. One of our children asked if a friend could come home with us. And, of course, we always go out to eat after church. And we always typically drive separately to church because I have to be there early. We happen to park on opposite sides of the building, so we divide the kids up and head to the car, and we head to the restaurant about three miles away from the church, and when we get out and we count heads, we count four. We realize we should have five. Kelsey is missing. Well, I hop in the car, run back to the church. Fortunately, Kelsey was old enough that she knew we would eventually figure that out. (laughs) So she wasn't too worried but a little concerned because it had taken a while. And I want you to know that Kelsey never did give up her hiding place because she hid so well. Well, those kind of things, has that ever happened to you, anything like that? No, just us. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I listen to parents, we live very crazy, busy lives. And today as we focus on our living family rooms and our family rooms on the go, It's good to take note of that and be aware of it. Today we're wrapping up our series. And if you've missed that, I want to catch you up that the series is inspired by somebody who was a person of faith. They were building their first home and they decided as a way to be faithful to God and bring his spirit into their home, they would write with permanent markers on the doorways, on the window sills, and on the floors before it was fully constructed, scriptures that might pertain to the activity that would take place in each of those rooms. So I've been sharing those scriptures with you each week. The first week, Pastor Aaron talked about how parents need a role model for their children, a life of love, compassion, and justice. And then we talked about the kitchen and dining room, how the mealtime can be an opportunity to perform rituals of faith that ingrain that in our children. Last Sunday, we focused on the master bedroom and talked about how we should make sleep a priority because God wants us to take care of our bodies and also that God cares about our physical intimacy because it's a way that bonds us together in real and valuable ways. Today, we focus on that living family room area. And the realization in today's world, as busy as we are, sometimes that the family room's got to be in the minivan or the SUV. You've got to take it with you. You've got to use all these opportunities to connect with one another. And I want you to know that for our staff, one of our biggest concerns we have is how can we help our families disciple their children when there's so much on the go and there seems to be so little time. And we're doing everything we can on our part. We're offering short-term discipleship classes. We're we're trying to initiate more growth groups because those are flexible and can adapt to your, your schedule. And Amber Good offers all the orange resources that you can listen to in your car and, and play at home and try to reinforce what they experience here at church. And that's why I, I like especially this first scripture that we're going to share with you. I've chosen scriptures, I think, that apply 
to all this. And, and this is one I think so beautiful. It's one that Jesus quoted when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? So would you recite it with me? This is the common English version. Israel, listen. Our God is the Lord, only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These words that I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city's gates. This scripture was shared by the Deuteronomist. He wrote in a time in which the faith of Israel was slipping. They're past the glory days of King David and King Solomon. The nation of Israel is now divided between two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And the morality is starting to give way. The fertility gods that were pretty much relegated to the rural areas have now made their way into the cities and are even being adopted by some of the ruling class. And so their morals have slipped as well. We find that farmers are being taken advantage of urban lenders. Some people are having to sell themselves into slavery just to put food on the table for their families. The gap between rich and poor grows, and Israel has lost its moral compass. And so this passage was an attempt to refocus Israel on the commandments God had given to them, the Ten Commandments. And that Shema that says there will only be one Lord, you'll only worship one God, and invite them to make sure that God is on the forefront of their heads at work in everything they do, hence the hands referred, and also placed on the doorpost of their homes to declare that their house would be a place where one God would be served. Of course, the Pharisees took this rather literally. They even created little leather boxes called teflons or phylacteries. And in them were written tiny scrolls of scripture in the commands. And they placed them symbolically as a sign that they were important to them. Of course, nothing wrong with that, but I kind of think they, they missed the point. Because the imagery is there to suggest that, that God should be there for us in all that we do. <clears throat> that we take God wherever we go. And I love the language of this passage. It tells us that when we're sitting down, reminds us of our family rooms, does it not? And when you're out and about, sounds like taking the kids to soccer practice or whatever activity they have. And when they're lying down, invite this to be a part of your bedtime routine to make sure that God is remembered. And then it says, and when they're getting up. Now, good luck with that one. I've never had much success doing anything like that with our kids in that time. But I encourage you, make the most of your time when you're out and about. Utilize it. There's so many resources available to today. The Orange Express, for you parents, we have resources that you can play in the car. I've noticed on Pandora, that app, that there's a channel for children's worship songs. Amber Good's got lots of resources. 
I remember when my kids were growing up, we had this little game we'd play in the car called Name That Tune. I would whistle songs. Then they'd have to guess what the name of the song was or at least the movie it came from. And so I whistled a lot of Disney songs. But I also fit in a few hymns and a few praise songs. They knew those too, and they loved the game to help reinforce. So take advantage. Make it fun. Make sure your kids know that our faith is something to be enjoyed. Our next scripture comes from Hebrews 12. Bear hardship for the sake of discipline. God is treating you like sons and daughters. What child isn't disciplining, isn't disciplined by his or her father? But if you don't experience discipline, which happens to all children, then you are illegitimate and not real sons and daughters. Now, I know this passage is talking about how God disciplines us, that we should expect that in a spiritual life. But notice that it shares in a positive light that discipline is a good thing. And I experienced in my life, one of my parental journeys was trying to figure out how I was going to parent. I didn't really have great role models for me when I started my family. And so not only as a pastor, but as a father, I wanted to find some resource that would give me some handles on how to go about that and do that well. And I came across a resource called Active Parenting. Now, that's not necessarily a Christian resource, but when I read through it, I discovered it had so many principles that sounded very biblical to me. For example, uh, I find in the Bible, I don't think God punishes people, but he does discipline us. There are consequences to our actions. That's what happened to Israel as a nation over and over. When they turned away from God, there were consequences that came with it. When they turned to God, good things happened. And so active parenting taught that same kind of thing. It's taught that we're not there to punish our children, but to teach them that for every choice they make, there are consequences. And it gave a lot of helps in how to, in a positive way, teach them that there's logical consequences to their behaviors, both good and bad, and gave lots of ways to redirect your children and allow them to do the things that they need to do. I, I found that incredibly helpful. And one of the reasons I loved teaching it was it helped reinforce my parenting. I had the chance to teach it not only in my own churches, but in elementary schools and also even in a homeless shelter. And the overriding principle was that that uh, while I grew up in a very authoritative, autocratic home where my father's uh, will was uh, always there and sometimes the, those reasons weren't always explained, but I discovered that permissive parenting was just as bad. And so active parenting taught freedom within limits, that there were boundaries, and you share those with your children. I found that to be of great help. And it gave me enough to become consistent in what I was doing that Sometimes I could tell it was really taking hold. I remember one time, now this didn't happen often enough, but it did happen. I remember being home with the kids alone, and one of them gets in a fight with the other, and they fall off and hit, hit one of their brothers, and that daughter stops, looks at me, and I look at her, and she goes, I know. And she went in the other room, turned on the timer for five minutes, and went and sat in timeout. I didn't, and I went, yes! <laughs> I remember we used to have fights in the minivan about who was going to sit in the passenger seat up front. And it was just a problem between the two older kids because the two young ones were still in car seats. They had no choice. 
but it was always about who got there first, and so it always resulted in a fight. So finally I just say, okay, then nobody's going to sit there. And you know how fast they figured that out? They came up with their own solution. So on odd number days, Devin got that seat, and on even number days, Kelsey got that seat, and they solved themselves. But that training was very helpful. And to see that discipline can be a positive thing, it's not always about punishment. It's about giving your children the guidelines that will help them function well in life. So don't be afraid of discipline. Get what training you need. Equip your children and remember that even God disciplines his people. Our third passage comes from Mark 10, 13 through 16. And you probably know this passage. I'm going to share the common English version here. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them. But the disciples scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. Now this is the familiar passage. And we love it because it describes Jesus and his spirit so well. We use it a lot when we share communion to explain that we believe in an open communion for all ages. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Now, I've never noticed before. For some reason this week it just hit me what Jesus did there. And I noticed for the first time, that, at least in this version, it says that Jesus hugged the children. I had never noticed that before. You know, I always remembered the version of the Bible I grew up with, the New Revised Standard Version, and it says there specifically that Jesus took them into his arms. Now, for some reason, even though that's pretty much saying the same thing, right, that never quite registered to me. I guess it's because that's not how I talk. It's one of the reasons I like the Common English Bible very well is it uses our language of today. Matter of fact, the Common English Bible has 30,000 less words than most versions of the Bible because they use contractions. Uh, we say can't and don't and won't. And here it uses a translation that explains well what Jesus did there. Because do you ever say, I took my child or my grandchild into my arms? We don't talk like that, do we? No, we hug them. And Jesus hugged them. And boy, that just makes this such a stronger statement about what Jesus did. Not only did he scold the disciples for turning the kids away, not only did he bless the children, not only did he say to them that we should receive the kingdom of God like these children, but he hugged them. He loved them in the way that they could understand the most. So the challenge I see that presenting for us, do you really hug your children? I know you do. But do you make them a priority like Jesus did in this scene here? Do you make sure that they know that you, they are more important than anything else in your life, that they're more important than work. I remember one time when my children were young, and I always tried, did my best to try to block out my church time and my family time. And so I was working on my sermon writing day while the kids were at school, and I'm writing away. But boy, that day I was having writer's block. Sometimes it just flows and sometimes it doesn't. 
And so the kids had come home. And I'm still writing. I'm trying to get this thing wrapped up. I'm at least halfway through. But I got that block, and something's just not coming. And one of the kids comes and wants to know if I'll come play with them. And I say, after a while, because I'm hoping. I just want to get this done so I can let it go and relax and, and enjoy my time with the family. But it's just not flowing. And finally, I stop and realize that I'm preaching on a text that talks about Christ's love. And I just told my child to go away. And I realize this is kind of being a little hypocritical here. So I pushed the keyboard away, and I went and played with my child. And when they went to bed, I was amazed at how quickly my sermon came together after that, especially since I had an illustration that I just put together right there. Make sure your kids know that they are more important than anything else. Make that time for them. Prioritize them. Look forward to that time. Enjoy that time with them. I put a Facebook question out there asking people what they do during their family time. And boy, I got lots of different answers. Lots of ways that shows we're such unique families. I had people who talked about the games they play. Things like Monopoly and a whole bunch of names of games I've never even heard of anymore until that it's been a while since I've had my children. Euchre, dominoes, and one family had this chicken run they do. The little ones love running around the house like chickens, screaming and yelling, and you got to keep chasing them, and whoever gives up first falls to the ground, and everyone piles on. You're welcome to try that today if you want. <laughs> Others watch classic 80 shows. A lot of them have that old movie and popcorn. you got to make popcorn, right? And some do it the old-fashioned way by cooking it on the stove. I remember one of the favorites in our family was make your own pizza night. You get all the ingredients, and they get to create their own creation and enjoy it. So remember, Jesus just didn't let the children come to him. He hugged them. And finally, this passage can serve as the conclusion not only to this message, but for our whole series. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. We've been trying to embrace these scriptures that will help our families thrive. And how special it is when you have a family that is truly united by Christ's love, that that intentionality gets lived out and seen and experienced. And it comes when you practice that faith together. So I encourage you, find a way for your family to serve together. Maybe you let each child find a favorite mission or purpose or ministry that they care most about, and then you support them and do that with them. I was out at Teeter yesterday afternoon where we had a work day, and I watched this family that's new to our church, but they're out there together and when I arrived, the kids were just rolling around on the ground. But they'd stop, and they'd come and help for a little bit. And then they'd go back to roll it on the ground. And then come back and help a little bit. And that was fine. That was great. What a great thing to see. And then I listened to the mother explain why we were out there. They were trying to raise food for people who work but don't have enough money to buy all that they need in their family. And how we're helping the community. And I thought, wow, what, what a great way to communicate to them 
our faith, seeing it lived out and practiced in real way. I remember our family used to love ringing the Salvation Army bell. In New Albany, we had such an organized structure where every church had their place in certain days, and they'd have to put up a chart and fill those out. Our family always took one, and they loved doing that together, that hour together, and we'd take turns ringing that bell. They'd even have a little competition about who could bring in the most money while they rung that bell. But those instill the values of making your life more about others, more about God, and not just about yourself. So my challenge to you, from this series, I hope you find something. And remember, there's no perfect families. And believe me, you will never be able to do all you want to do. You'll never be all that you want to be for your family. You will always feel that frustration. But my hope, my prayer is there's just one thought, one idea that you'll put into practice from this series And if you do that, I know God will bless it. So make the most of the teachable moments, even as you're on the go. Discipline your children in positive ways. Hug your children like Jesus. And put Jesus' words into practice as your family. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up all of our families today, both as parents and grandparents, Help us to do our best to instill the values and the spirituality of your kingdom 